This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanier, and we will get through this. There's a reason I started Box of Crayons and I kind of launched my life as an entrepreneur. And it's not for some of the reasons that entrepreneurs have, which is like, I'm going to go and make money and I need to be rich. And it wasn't even so much about a, I want to change the world, you know, put a dent in the universe, as Steve Jobs said. For me, it was a much more <laughs> fundamental reason in some ways, which is like, I just discovered I am a terrible employee. I mean, I look back on the bosses that I've had over my life and most of them are like, you're a nightmare to work with. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? That's actually fair. I am a bit of a nightmare to work with. And one of the few people in my life who was a great boss to me was Kate Lai, who I get to talk to right now. Not only because she's just a lovely person and uh, has a big heart and is, has all the characteristics you hope for in a leader, which is courage and clarity and direction. But one of the reasons I truly love Kate, and this will sound a bit odd, is her intolerance. <laughs> and by intolerance, not of people, but actually of shonky, flabby thinking. She is one of the great autodidacts I know. She reads voraciously. And she has an ability to kind of stick a finger at the kind of weak thinking that often shows up in the world of leadership and resilience and whatever else and going, well, that's not really good enough, is it? Somebody's just made that up. And that quest for rigor in thinking is something that I try and hold on to myself and I see all the time with Kate. So let me introduce you to her more formally. She's a leadership specialist based in London, but with clients worldwide in financial services, pharma and professional services. For over 20 years, she has been fascinated by how deep change happens for both individuals and organizations. And her work with CEOs and executive teams is focused on equipping them to hardwire tough changes and be clear-sighted about what or who gets in the way. She is known for her challenge in a velvet glove style, which is true, and she is a confident and a coach to many (laughs) leaders as they transform their businesses. Kate, it's nice to be talking to you. Likewise, Michael. What an introduction. Well, you know, some you of my... You were a terrible employee. <laughs> I, 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 know. I, was, I, I mean, I had good moments, but in terms of having to be a boss to me, oh. I, can, I can see why, you know, like the time Every I refused to go track, through yeah. the performance management yeah. process. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do I do with that? Uh, thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah, thanks a lot. Exactly. Yeah, well... But, a testament to both of us that we came out the other side still speaking. Exactly. And not just speaking, but we, we hang out. When yeah. I come to London, I, I come and stay with you and we spend lots of time in your beautiful backyard drinking great wine. Because that's the other superpower you have is a, <laughs> a wine budget and a great taste in wine. So I'm always coming and drinking some delicious wine with you <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, but I, I seriously don't have a backyard, Michael, so... Well, you have a you have a walled garden. I, which is, I have an Epicurean place of solace for my <laughs> friends and loved ones to discuss serious issues like this. Exactly, exactly. So, as we said in the introduction, you know, you are you work at the highest levels in big organisations, 
and we're in a time of anxiety and stress and uncertainty at the moment. I'm wondering what sort of conversations you're having with those people right now. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the CEOs I'm speaking to is about resetting priorities in mm -hmm. quite a dramatic fashion. Um, so I, I think there's the sort of providing what reassurance there is available at the moment in terms of continuity and what we can do. But there's also saying which way is up at the moment. Right. Um, you know, what, what is it worthwhile continuing to do? You know, what things has this current crisis just made a mockery of and we can put to one side and forget about? And what new things suddenly do become possible? Because right. I think that, that, you know, suddenly we could do this. We couldn't have done it beforehand, but why don't we do it now? And, you know, so I think it's interesting that a lot of businesses I'm working with are accelerating changes because, mm -hmm. hell, you know, everything else is up in the air. Business as usual is shot to pieces. Yep. But I think also that sort of financial reset about, you know, where are we? How secure are we? How are we going to get through what is definitely going to be a marathon endurance race for business and people going forward? Do you have, I mean, it's, it's, it is early days. And I think you're right when you go, it's a marathon and we're kind of at the start of a marathon. But do you already have a sense of how you think business and what it means to work will shift and change? Um, it's really interesting, certainly in the UK press, there is a real weighing of businesses and their responses and whether they are being seen as good or bad mm -hmm. members of society, I suppose, in a way that I hadn't seen so... Uh, to be so exacting beforehand. You know, literally every weekend paper there is the goodies and the badges list. Right. And big names ranks up there. You know, either for, you know, treatment of employees or shameless brand opportunities that companies have pursued or, you know, just sharp practice or, you know, things that are really quite wonderful in terms of how organizations have stepped into providing yep. testing capabilities or support for NHS workers or whatever it is. So I think there is a, a redefinition of corporate reputation and um, it's very hard to be behind sort of not on the radar unit. Right. Um, yeah, everyone says, you know, what, what's your employer doing at the moment? That's um, very interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. You know, and to, and to be doing nothing other than you know, some reassurances and trying to work from home isn't really cutting isn't it. Isn't sufficient, but, yeah. It's like an opportunity I, to step forward. And if you're not yeah. stepping forward, you are actually being left behind. But I don't know if you remember, um, you know, we both lived in the States during 9-11, Michael. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was a huge, huge sort of outpouring after that in terms of uh, it was a question, I think, to George Bush about how does the average person help? What can we do? Yeah. And there is that sense of making meaning out of crisis by saying, in whatever small way can we contribute? Right. Um, and I think people are looking for that individually and looking for it corporately. One of the things that the world is awash with at the moment are 
suggestions on how to find purpose, how to have meaning, how to be resilient. Um, mm. And, you know, I introduced you by <laughs> mentioning that you and me a little bit as well are kind of like not enraptured by the, here are the five steps for resilience for any time and any place. Um, and one of the things that I've, I've heard you talk about in the past, which I, I loved as an idea, is uh, the RMI or your, your own resilience modus operandi. Take yeah. us through what that actually is. Where do you come up with something like that? Um, so I think, uh, so I think resilience uh, sort of works on several levels. It's, you know, it's not a generic catch-all. Mm-hmm. I think there is the speed of bounce back. Um, I think there is how you come through an, uh, a situation, a, a difficult time about whether you're steeled or scarred by it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's how you keep going under pressure. But I think none of that is generic. Right. Um, it's, I think resilience is a social concept and it's an individual concept. So it's based on context, the yeah. situation you're in. Um, and it's based on what you individually bring to that context. So the idea that you can, uh, you know, come up with some generic affirmations and some generic good practices that make you resilient is going to be pretty hit and miss for most people. <laughs> I can just see you rising, arching that right <laughs> eyebrow of yours in that way of you're like, I'm, for those of you who are not British, you need to understand <laughs> what that, that, casual perhaps that won't be up to scratch means which is it's a load of old bollocks and it definitely won't do the trick that's my <laughs> my translation to the north american audience and the you know this beyond english uh, audience so where when you're working with your ceos and they're thinking about their own personal resilience and their own organization's resilience yeah do you do you have an explicit conversation about that? Is it just part of a more general piece around management? What's going on? How do you how does resilience feed itself into those conversations typically? So I'm going to jump on the individual one first. Mm-hmm. The organisational resilience one I think is particularly useful as well. But yeah. just individually, I think there are many ways into that conversation. Um, so. I think, you know, there is the standard psychometric way into it in terms of, you know, Hogan's derailers, for example. What things actually trigger you? What things significantly throw you off center and make you uh, sort of less able to cope? And I think really understanding what those are is helpful. I think... And um, and to interrupt for a moment, Kate... um, are you able to give some examples of, I mean, it's really helpful to go, look, some things don't phase me. Some things do phase me. And it's going to be different for yeah. each of us. Just like with strength finders, we have different strengths. Um, can you give, yeah. for those of, you, of us who don't know the tool, like you might, can you give some mm-hmm. examples of what sort of categories those derailers might be? Yeah. So, and you know, let's take it out of the psychometric and, and talk people. Um, so, you know, a derailer for some people is about loss of control. So being mm-hmm. in a situation where none of the normal rules will, uh, apply. Um, right. You know, a derailer for another person may be around trust, may be about 
relationship maybe about being let down by people can also significantly just make them trust, um, sort of con have concerns about their judgment, have concerns about right. things that they thought were true and stable. There are a whole raft of things which sort of goes back to our original starting point. Assuming these are generic is laughable. One thing that is water off right. back to one leader yeah. is an absolute, you know, this is a three-session conversation. <laughs> right, right. This is... This has profoundly shaken me and my beliefs about how I lead and how I'm effective. That's um, so interesting. I mean, just in those examples you gave, I think to myself, you know, I'm less phased about a, a loss of control, certainly at some yeah. levels. I'm much more destabilized by, you know, a betrayal by somebody and yeah, a kind of, exactly. uh, you said you were, you were, doing this and actually you did this behind my back and you were you've undermined me in some way that's a yep. far bigger what the hell <laughs> whereas the yes. last control i'm like i never had control i was never i was never <laughs> deluded like that so why would that bother me yeah but um it's so funny you should say that i go into so many uh board situations mm -hmm. where you go right the toxic issue here must be this right. and it's not yeah it's not because it is you know, what is it that actually triggers you? And then the kicker to that point is, and when you are triggered, what do you do? Right. So if we are to use Hogan here, that's when it is useful. Um, you know, are you someone, for example, when you're triggered, you get into, I'm going to try and reassure myself by getting into the detail. I become mm -hmm. a sort of micromanaging maniac. <laughs> I think right. the other piece that's a real you know, if you're thinking about resilience, you need to know this about yourself. When something bad happens, are you someone who steps into the fray? You know, you become louder, you become more engaged, you become right. more both for you, or are you someone who steps back? Right. It doesn't mean you're any less engaged, but what yeah, does it trigger in you? Right. Um, and I love this because so you're, pointing to, you're, you're pointing to you're you're pointing to that your your I mean, this is your resilience MO or your kind of your resilience fingerprint, yeah. which is like we have different fingerprints and, yeah. and you will have patterns. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the situation will be different, but your response to that stressful situation will have echoes of how you behaved before. And once you know the pattern, I have one of my favorite clients of the last year or so, one of my favorite clients, has a complete, um, very predictable, very strong, very emotional pattern to when she feels uh, sort of other colleagues aren't making the mark, when she feels mm -hmm. that people are ducking issues. And you know, because she now knows that pattern so well, I, I, I can say to her, apparently, I didn't realize I did this life was very good, <laughs> apparently I used the can you hurry up Sort of hand <laughs> oh yeah yeah the kind of yeah. round, round around around yeah. thing yeah 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 sort of we know where we are can we hurry up <laughs> could you just jump to the end could we get back to the real work here because you're just going through your pattern the fact that she can sit and call herself on that now and i've had other clients who've just said you know it's just like i put the record on you know you've triggered me i'm now going to you know go through this roller coaster of emotion but the faster i can recognize it the faster I can come out the other side. You know, it reminds me of uh, 
my mastermind group we call the brain trust which you've heard about yeah. many times and we've been working together for 15 years and um, I love these people and they know me and they know my patterns just as <laughs> I love them and I know their patterns as well and honestly as we think about our annual retreat which is like four or five days hanging out together and having fun but also doing work on ourselves and our businesses it's got to the point where we're like okay why don't I just pretend to be Eric because I know all of Eric's issues. I know they're the same that they've been for the last 15 years. And you know, yeah. Jen will go, well, I could just be Michael. I could just talk about yeah. his sort of like after a big thing, he kind of melts down and then he goes, yeah. gets into a little existential. What's the point of it all? Nobody knows who I am. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I'm, yeah. I'm lost. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah, that's how I always, that's exactly how I always react. How did you know that? <laughs> I know. Amazing. And there's a, there's something about, uh, you know, when we talk of, when, when people talk about emotional intelligence, mm. I always, I, the definition that has resonated most for me around emotional intelligence is that ability to see yourself in the moment and go, Hey, how's this working? Do I want to react like this or do I want to manage it or tweak yeah. it in some different way? That sort of yeah. outside in perspective on yourself yeah. and understanding your patterns is exactly what that's all about. I think the other piece, um, you know, is understanding external fa factors that leave you weaker mm. from being triggered. Um, you know, so, you know, be that fatigue or be that solitude or be that travel. Um, right. So I have a client in Boston who, if he hasn't worked out and if he hasn't eaten, it really isn't worth having a conversation with him. Right. You know, and I now say that to him, you know, how, are we ticking the two boxes or am I talking <laughs> another time? Because That's so really, good. Um, you know, and I think, I think, you know, when we're trying checking in with ourselves and saying, you know, how robust am I feeling at the moment? Do I need to bolster myself? Do I need to take extra precautions? Mm -hmm. You know, recognizing those couple of things that really, if you haven't had a good night's sleep or... Right. If you haven't been eating properly. What are the things that disproportionately affect you? And we all have one or two that, you know, none of us. So good. We all have one or two, don't we? So this is this is part of what's so brilliant about this conversation, Kate. In response to the generic advice that you'll get on the five point LinkedIn article, because it was yeah. like eat well and exercise yeah. and sleep and meditate and. There's something really clever and subtle, even though it, it sounds obvious enough when you say it, which is like, actually, there's one or two things that you really need for stability, for really yeah. kind of, that, that nourish you more than the other things. That's and personal to Michael. Yeah, it's personal to Michael. It's like, yeah. so, you know, I've spent 30 years attempting to meditate. Just, it's never really stuck. <laughs> so... <laughs> the has Michael meditated is not is not a big issue. No, yeah. but but since I was four, if I haven't eaten properly, I just get cranky, <laughs> and I'm just. Yeah. I mean, my mum would used to tell stories of me coming home from you know as a six year old home from primary school where I'd spent the day a trying to be a 
perfect student because you know eldest child blah 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 ambitious blah 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 i'm trying to do that as a six-year-old be having not eaten my lunch because i was yeah, out playing yeah, yeah. and i just come home and i'd be this little hurricane of hate <laughs> and she'd be like ah and she's like i've got one job when he walks through the door and it's to sit him down and get food into him immediately or else yeah. he is unmanageable yeah. and of course i'm just the same seven-year-old boy i've just <laughs> taller and grayer <laughs> but it's the same patterns yeah yeah but it just shows um you know the the what goes with sort of the rma for me is you know the more you can predict it and understand it yeah. the more you can manage it and the more you can bolster it and that's Beautiful. the only reason you're doing it because you can come up with your personal prescription of what helps you stay be able to respond how you want to right. in really tough times and to keep going. And, yeah. uh, um, I also think the thing that the thing that is overlooked, and I am a chief offender on this one, is is um, context and what you've been through before. Right. Yeah, what you've seen and been through before, um, and what you're willing to put yourself in, you know, steals you. Right. Versus you know, so that's interesting yeah. because there's a way that, um, you know, for some of us, what we've been through before st steals us, as you said, it strengthens us in the moment, which is like, you know what? I'm not that phased by this. I mean, I had a conversation with um, a friend of mine who runs a, a big design firm. I mean, actually I'll tell you her name because she's published this on LinkedIn and uh, Nancy Duarte who runs Duarte. Right. And she's like, I've been running this company for 35 years. This is the fifth crisis. You know what? I'm feeling okay about it. Yeah. You know, I prefer not to have a crisis, but hey, they come every 10 years, pretty, pretty predictably, eight to 10 years. I've been waiting for it to happen. I didn't know it was going to be a, a pandemic. Mm -hmm. I knew something was, some black swan was going to show up. Yeah. And, you know, I can look back on the previous four crises and go, well, <laughs> I wish I'd done that then. So she's like, I've done all that. I've got, we've yeah. got bank, we've got money in the bank. We've got plans. We've got uh, restructuring the sales commission. She's done all the thinking so that she's ready for this moment. But equally, Kate, I can imagine that there are some times where you go through something and it leaves you with, I don't know, the equivalent of, or maybe the actuality of like PTSD, which is like, actually, this is still a triggering process that is harder to get through having gone through it before rather than easier. Well, it's funny, isn't it? I've had this conversation with so many psychologists about what steals you versus scars you. Mm -hmm. you know, why do some people have horrendous childhoods, horrendous childhoods, and it is the defining thing that makes them achieve and go on right. to have wonderful, productive, rich lives that are the exact opposite of what they experienced as a child. Whereas others, you know, just are unable to shake it off. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there is a magic answer around that, but I think um, there is something about processing what has happened to you and right. trying to bottle it as I'm taking something from this. Right. I did, um, I did a weird piece of work a couple of years ago of uh, a private equity company that were trying to build their resilience of startup CEOs. Mm -hmm. So they were generally in their thirties, you know, they hadn't been, you know, they hadn't been in four businesses and seen the five crises that your colleague yeah. Nancy had. 
um, and I would do an exercise with them where I would map all of their sort of high resilience points in their pre-working life mm -hmm. and get them to sort of distill what they took from that. And then you could say, okay, in the life of a startup, you're going to have these funding crises. You're going to have, you know, employees leave, shareholders mm -hmm. not back you. Uh, you know, all of these predictable crises, how can one translate to the other? Right. How can what has happened to you in the past be used and you draw on to steal yourself, but do it now versus when you're actually in that crisis for the first time? It's wonderful. And part of that makes me think of some of the other people who are part of this first season who are talking about storytelling and yeah, what it yeah. means to tell stories, but how those stories become proof of adventures had and adventures survived and how that can steal you and make you more resilient going forward. Because once you see it has a story, there's a way that you can extract learning from that. But equally, it goes back to something brilliant you wrote years ago that I loved um, that was talking about, you know, there are two choices of story, aren't there? I think right. you were talking about why you couldn't be a public speaker. Uh, well, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, so you were talking about having a hair lip and yes. why it could define you one way or another. Right, right, exactly. So there, you know, there was, that, I think you might be talking about the, perhaps the article I wrote for the End Malaria book, which is around how scars can be a strength of source, uh, a source of strength yeah. for you, but you have to kind of actively make that choice. Yeah, perfectly said. Yeah. Um, but actively, it sometimes um, shape that story, and sometimes you can't do that for yourself. I'm always amazed at how um, you know how people tell my story versus how I would tell it in a self-deprecating English way. Um, <laughs> right. But, but no, but it's really interesting, and sometimes we need help with that. Yeah. Um, and so I will listen to your. Uh, other interviewees on storytelling because it is a proof point that sometimes you need someone else to say yeah you could tell it that way but equally it's equally true nice yeah and just having people in your life to reflect the best version of yourself back to you to to go you've done this <laughs> I, this yeah. is what i know to be true about who you are um you know, I feel you've done that for me at times where you've just kind of held up a mirror and gone, actually, Michael, <laughs> stop. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> Step forward. Yeah. You, you've got this. And that's been powerful. Yeah, okay. it's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes we can't help ourselves, but often we can. So. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about organizational resilience. I mean, this whole MRO um, uh, RMO, sorry, for the self and going, you've got your own p story and your own patterns and until you yeah. know them, it's hard to build your yeah. own resilience plan. But yeah. how do you take that or how do you think differently when you're like, actually, it's a system now that I'm worrying about? Yeah. And so, ironically, there are such strong parallels to the individual here, but I think this, is, this isn't explored as much as it needs to be and should be. I think there is, it is very much about identity and mm -hmm. value. You know, who we are as an organization and how we talk about that. Right. Um, you know, so an organization we both know, AstraZeneca. Yep. Um, you know, how they talk about 
Pfizer's unsuccessful bid to buy them. Right. And, and how they withstood that and how they said, you know, this is about UK science and this, is, this isn't about just about shareholder return and breaking things up for, right. for sale. You know, this is about science and value and what we're going to build for the future. You know, I, I think that is a perfect example of an organization going through, um, a, you know, a threatening, an existence-threatening yeah. experience banking it both publicly and personally yeah um, i remember getting a text from uh, one of one of their executives who had to give evidence in the house of commons that day just going blimey you know i feel like <laughs> i'm arguing you know, right. arguing for my children's life or something you know? right and the the fact that all employees got involved in this is who we want to be we don't want to be a uk subsidiary of some you know we right. want our own identity I think has um, served them remarkably well. But I think in war or peace time, I think organizations that have this strong sense of this is who we are and therefore this is how we react because this is what we do. Yeah. I think it's immensely helpful in terms of what is important. So I yeah. to two clients this week about, you know, where their focus is in this time of crisis one massively it's all about clients mm-hmm. one in a bit more turmoil themselves didn't mention the client once right so it's so orientating about which way is up what should our priorities That's be right. what we stand for so all of that good storytelling about organizations values what is the leadership we behavior we promote or will fire for actually, I think, comes home to roost in times like this. And that's really interesting because, you know, I, I have a degree of, more politely put would be skepticism, maybe even cynicism around how many organizations manage vision and mission and values yeah. as a yeah. kind of, you know, a token piece of wallpaper rather than yeah. something that actually drives culture and drives behavior and drives decision-making. And... You know, there are some organizations who will have been lucky enough to say, we, we know what we stand for. <laughs> it's this. And, you know, cometh the hour, cometh the opportunity to step into these values and use them as a way of strengthening who we are. Yeah. But it's also, you would think, it's a, it's a moment for organizations who may go, you know what, we've never quite, <laughs> we've never quite got how important values are or our vision is for how we run this company we could use this moment to reset around that and go here's the opportunity to build the narrative and build the story and build the commitment that may have been more elusive and felt less urgent in times of comfort yeah i think i think that is bang on and I think a lot of organizations, it is a chance to reshape or hammer home. Mm-hmm. This is who we want to be. Um, and I think the number of, um, the number of executive communications I've seen that have been all about the logistics and the management, not about yeah. how we want to, how we want to come through this and what we want to do for our customers. Um, yeah, it, it just speaks volumes. Yeah, it does. 
Kate, we have spoken volumes, which I always love. <laughs> and by now we'd be on our, I'd be on my third glass of wine because I'm like, I'm animated by these conversations. I love it. Um, if people... And I am. You just don't see me. <laughs> there we go. Uh, time zones. They're so good. Um, if people wanted to find out more about who you are, where can they find you? Uh, www.kliconsult.com or Perfect. on LinkedIn. Do say hello. Kate, I love you. You're awesome. Thank you for being part of this. Ah, such a pleasure. Right. See you soon and do it in person, I hope. Yes. Okay. Take care. Hey, it's Michael here. Two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift, I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review, that would be amazing. Thank you.